So, uh, okay, welcome to the podcast, Max. Well, thank you, thank you very much, Andreas, for for the invitation. It's, I'm always happy to to find new podcasts uh, with awesome hosts uh, to well, uh, have a good conversation. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I've been really uh, curious about the whole Bitcoin nomad thing for quite a while. Uh, I think I heard about it first maybe a year ago, but it took some time for the idea to uh, to to sink in and to to start thinking like. Uh, maybe this is something I can do, or uh, maybe uh, wanting to find out more about the value of doing it. Like how? And, and I, I'm sure a lot of people have never heard of what is a Bitcoin nomad. And uh, but if I understand correctly, it is um, it's earning your money in Bitcoin and it's uh, living on Bitcoin. Do I understand this correctly, or maybe you can elaborate? Yeah, so I, th I think there are, of course, two parts to that term, right? For, first of all, nomadism, uh, which basically just means to travel a lot, right? Uh, and to see different places and different people, uh, and not to be landlocked in one single location, right? Which might be good, which might be bad. Um, and the Bitcoin part of that simply is a tool that you use uh, to achieve that level of liberty. Right? Um, because, of course, in, in the fiat realm, right, uh, if you're somewhere on a Taiwanese island, well, how are you going to get Swiss francs sent to your bank account or something? Right? It's very, very difficult. Um, however, right, if, if you live on, on Bitcoin, this gives you this global and liquid monetary asset uh, that you can actually use to well, get paid or to buy your services in. Uh, and the money follows you wherever you are. Right? It does not matter in what country you are always have the same amount of bitcoin it's always as easy to spend them as it is anywhere else between because bitcoin is well, fundamentally a money of cyberspace and not of meat space uh, and therefore as long as you work somewhere in cyberspace you can get paid uh, and that's a really beautiful tool for nomads yeah yeah there's something uh, that i really like about bitcoin is the fact that it really feels like you you own it or you have it like you don't need the bank and you don't need any anyone else really but unlike having uh, physical gold or silver it's much easier to carry with you like it's not you don't feel encumbered i guess this is what makes it so so suiting for the the like the nomad lifestyle Yeah, absolutely. You bring up here two points, uh, very good ones. The first is that Bitcoin is a bearer asset. It is base money. Right? It is the money of itself. If you, similar to a gold coin, right? If you hold a gold coin, it's yours, right? Nobody else has a claim to that gold coin. It's base money. Uh, very useful because it's very secure, right? Nobody can come legally and take uh, this coin from you because nobody else has a claim on it. It's just you having it in your hand. Same with Bitcoin. Right? If you have a Bitcoin on your private key, it's yours, right? And only uh, the person with the private key can spend it. Um, where, but then uh, contrast that to something called uh, just well, leveraged fiat money, basically, where what you have in your bank account is not money. If you have a uh, thousand euros in your bank account, those are not a thousand euros that you own, right? The base money in the fiat realm is physical cash and the deposits at the central bank reserve, right? But your bank account at your private bank is not that. You do not hold money in your bank account. You have a claim on money, 
right? The bank holds the money for you and you hope that in the future they will give you access to it and the permission to use it again, right? Um, so this is where Bitcoin really comes in. As you say, you own it. It's yours. Nobody else has a claim to it. And that's a very powerful position to be in, right? Because you know that this thing I have and I can spend at my will for whatever reason without anyone denying me that privilege, right? It's, uh, it's very powerful. Um, and then you combine that uh, with the aspect of Bitcoin being in cyberspace, right? That removes the biggest hurdle of gold. Like if you have, I don't know, a house worth of gold, that's like a serious weight amount. And you will have to carry that from A to B in order yeah. to hand over the physical unit of gold, right? That's base money. If you don't want to work with claims and debt money. Um, well, Bitcoin makes that easy, right? Regularly, we have like thousands of Bitcoin worth being transacted instantly in a second in cyberspace uh, from any planet to the world teleported to the other um, it's it removes the friction of using base money tremendously without relying on trusted third parties which is genius yeah yeah i agree and i, I think the whole the whole monetary system that we have in place now it's so i don't know it, it has become so uh, convoluted and you don't really understand how it works anymore no one, it's not like a public conversation, really. Well, I guess the Bitcoin community is opening that up quite a lot. But uh, yeah, it, it, I think what made me, because uh, I started thinking recently, like, okay, like, how could I, could I do this? Like, if I could make my uh, money uh, on Bitcoin um, and I could spend a lot of Bitcoin, like, what would that be like? Like, how, so, so, what is that what is that like for you like when you do you feel like or how how is the experience different from owning uh, fiat money and living in the whole fiat world and, and maybe like how how does it work yeah it's for sure a very liberating feeling um because well you have something that nobody can take from you right that's that's like a, a great level of defense uh, that Bitcoin can offer you that fiat bank accounts, frankly, cannot, right? Uh, like, we all know stories about friends getting their bank accounts shut down because of some arbitrary reason, right? Uh, or like PayPal accounts being closed uh, or eBay accounts or whatnot, right? All these, all these uh, tools for merchants and for businessmen um, that rely on trusted third parties can easily compromise them and simply deny them access to use the service, which means you as a businessman are are screwed. Like nobody can pay you anymore. Your family is going to be starving tonight, right? Uh, that's that's a serious, serious problem. Um, so Bitcoin just removes that uncertainty completely. Like I know that in the future, anyone can pay me Bitcoin and nobody can stop me from earning that Bitcoin. And I also know that all the Bitcoin that I've earned in the past will still be mine, right? If I have, I don't know, one out of 21 million Bitcoin, that's it. That ratio is never going to change. Nobody is going to take my one Bitcoin and nobody is going to print more than 21 million Bitcoin, right? So I have incredible amounts of certainty in the, uh, the monetary realm as an entrepreneur. I know exactly what percentage of the money supply I earn in this trade, right? And this is some economical calculation that is just impossible with fiat. Like what percentage of the money supply do you just earn in this trade? You don't know because they're printing so much more money that it's yeah. impossible to figure out a, a sensible data here, right? Yeah. Well, with Bitcoin, that risk is simply gone. Huh. 
Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. I never thought of it like that. Like, yeah, you can actually know how much of the the real money supply that you actually own or make. Yeah, and that's so important for money, right? Because more money is doesn't really mean it's better necessarily, right? Money is not a consumption good, right? More food, you're less hungry. That's great. Money is also not a production good, right? More wood, you can build a second house, right? So money is a medium of exchange, right? It's precisely used to not consume and to not produce. You don't eat a gold coin and you don't build a house out of a gold coin, right? right. So uh, therefore, as a medium of exchange, the quantity of money does not matter at all. What is important is the percentage of your holding of the money compared to the total money supply. What size of what slice of the pie do you have? One percent, five percent, ten percent, right? Those are the interesting numbers because that kind of shows you, like, very roughly speaking, um, like how much value you actually already have contributed to the economy and how much can you get out of it in the future just by changing your money uh, for consumption or production goods. Right. Uh, so yeah, being able to make that calculation one out of twenty-one million is mind-bogglingly amazing for an entrepreneur because that's that's exactly what you want to know like uh, percentage wise how much value do i bring in here yeah that's very interesting because one of the uh, most common criticisms of bitcoin that i hear is that it's not uh, doesn't work as a pricing mechanism because it's so volatile but this is a different perspective this is a different way of looking at it Absolutely. Yes. And this is a very fundamental disagreement between Keynesianism and Austrian economics or praxeology, um, where Keynesian, the mainstream economics preached by all types of universities today, says that it's so important that the purchasing power of money is stable, right? Uh, because then what you can buy with the same amount of money is always going to be the same thing. Um, but that, again, uh, completely misunderstands that money is neither a consumption nor a production good, right? What you can buy with it per se, as a single unit, doesn't really matter, right? It it truly matters the size of the pie, right? And and your slice of it, your percentage of it. Um, and this is what Austrian economics teaches. The money supply is what it's important. And we got to have a stable, predictable monetary supply, right? So that entrepreneurs can do this percentage allocation. This is why gold was a genius money, because its money supply barely increased, right? It was very stable, so you know exactly that if you have one gold coin today, well, it's all, it's also going to be uh, roughly the same percentage of the total gold supply tomorrow, right? because nobody will just print 50% new gold. Yeah. Right? That was immense stability in a monetary asset and very wise to achieve that. Now, Bitcoin makes it even better. Right? Bitcoin gives you the exact upper limit that can be, never more than 21 million, right? That's that's such an unspeakably stable tool for monetary calculation and for uh, like it will at least for me it has improved my resource allocation tremendously to look at it like that because all of a sudden you're like well okay that nice fancy car looks awesome but is it really worth 0.1% of the money supply yeah oh, probably not uh, so so how does this work um, see you uh you have some streams of income in Bitcoin, and do you do you or are you able to spend your Bitcoin directly when you buy, want to buy things? Like if you want to go, or 
how does it work like practically when when you want to go buy food or if you want to pay rent like is it all in bitcoin or do you transfer to fiat and then pay or how does it work well i try to as much as reasonable and possible um like give my counterparties that I work with the respect that they deserve, right? If they if they did a meaningful service, then I want to pay them a Bitcoin right? because I want to show them that I value what you do. And like here is this magical, precious cyberspace money. It's ridiculously valuable. But what you just did for me is even more valuable than this money. Right? That's a very, that's like a token of respect that I like to offer to the people that I work with. Uh, so yes, it's it's very often like a deciding criteria with whom I'm going to work with if they're going to accept Bitcoin, um, and you know especially as on on the entrepreneurial side, a lot of my contractors, uh, you know, I pay in Bitcoin, like you know developers, editors, or whatever it is with whom I work with. Most of the the human services um, I can very much pay in Bitcoin, um, but where this somewhat fails is still in meat space. Right. Um, um, because, well, with human services, the nice thing in cyberspace, you can talk to any person online. Right. And you will find someone who does the service that you want with Bitcoin. Mm. Right. But if you're hungry. Right. And there is only one supermarket close by. Right? Um, yeah. And you don't know the owner of it. You don't know the managers. You don't even know the people working there. Right. And for sure, they're just going to do the status quo uh, and be safe with uh, just accepting fiat shitcoins you're not going to convince them easily uh, to take Bitcoin. I mean, sure, you can try, but it will take a lot of your time. Right? And then mm -hmm. again, question of resource allocation. Is this the most valuable thing you could spend your time on? Right? Trying for hours to convince Aldi or Lidl right, to accept Bitcoin, yeah. which is going to be, I think, quite a fruitless quest. Um, so therefore, like for these larger stores and brands, the most reasonable thing is simply to, to find a peer, like a, a friend of yours who wants to have more Bitcoin, right? And who is currently in this horrible situation of still owning fiat shitcoins, right? And you can be this this heroic figure coming to his rescue, right? giving him the magical cyberspace money and taking care of the shit for him. You're basically a waste disposal company, right? <laughs> um, and as like especially when you when you when you do that trade and you 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 trade your Bitcoin for your for the shitcoins. And you just turn around and immediately spend the fiat on the goods and services that you want. You still don't hold any fiat. You're still not suffering from all the hyperinflation and, and the unethical things that are going on in the system. At least mm. you, you reduce the number of seconds that you hold fiat shitcoins. Uh, and that for me is, uh, is one of the approaches that uh, helps. Um, but again, always with that goal of actually paying in Bitcoin. And for me, specifically with food, the place where I realize that that works best is farmer's markets, right? To just go to the farm directly, uh, like locally in their building. Yeah. Um, most of these people are freedom lovers um, and they value, you know, property rights and gold bugs and their own land. Um, so very often they intuitively understand the value proposition of Bitcoin. And it's a much easier sales pitch than trying to convince the CEO of Aldi, who won't even listen to you, right? Uh, to just go to your local farmer's market and educate the people there about the, the scam that is going on in the fiat system. And very soon you can buy a lot of your local food with Bitcoin. Oh, this is so cool. This is actually what I've been thinking. Because I, uh, uh, I recently got into uh, going to farmer's markets and I really like it. Like, it's so nice to... Uh, to actually meet the people that grow your food um, 
and to actually be able to interact with them. And this is what's been in the back of my head ever since for a while that I, uh, yeah, this is something I want to try. I want to go there and I want to see if they, I can get them to, uh, to accept Bitcoin. So yeah. How do you, how, how do you do it? Like, do you have any, uh, practical advice? Uh, well, so the thing is like, you first have to learn a bit about Bitcoin, right. And think about it for yourself before you can make any meaningful conclusions of whether this is a good money or a bad money. Right. Hmm. Um, and oftentimes, I mean, you know, I worked on these farmers markets a lot myself. Um, it's, it's hard work, right. You get up at like four in the morning just to be there at five thirty, right. Uh, and have yeah. everything prepared for, for, for the early grandmas to come at six. Right. <laughs> so it's a long day. It's a hard work. Um, and usually there are many people there, right? So very often the merchant here does not have the mind space and the time, right? To listen to this crazy person, tell him why he should accept this weird token in cyberspace, right? <laughs> um, yep. So like for me, what, what worked better is to actually take my time and to visit those farmers at their home on some time, uh, like where they are not working. I mean, you know, farmers are somewhat always working, but where, where they don't have yeah. as stressful and time sensitive work uh, and then sit down with them and speak about the topic in depth. I take an hour or two and really get, get down to it um, and help them with the wallet setup. Right. That's super important. Like, uh, you know, oftentimes elderly people who, you know, of course, maybe now have a phone, but don't really use it much. Um, so a lot of the, they will just have a lot of open questions and someone will need to answer them and explain some things. Um, so, but, but yeah, that aspect of going there, uh, you know, on their own land when they have the time and then helping them to install a Bitcoin lightning wallet, you know, for example, Phoenix wallet is just amazing. Like you can send and receive Bitcoin super fast, super cheap. Um, and especially if both users are Phoenix users, it's like instant gratification. So you set that up, it's gratis for free. And you can just send them Bitcoin over Lightning and it, it works. It just works. Uh, and once you then have, have this set up where you have one, two, three, a handful of merchants on that local farmer's market, actually accepting Bitcoin uh, and having their phone ready, right, on the day where the farmer's market is at, uh, you just walk up to them, scan their QR code and pay and done. Like yeah. at that point, it's painless. It's so painless. They don't have to worry about giving you a change back, right? Or, or like the credit card terminal, nothing. They just have a phone or a tablet um, and can, you know, just accept Bitcoin all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So, so is, is this, uh, I'm, I'm still a little bit unclear on how the Lightning Network works. So is it, is it possible, do they also need like a Bitcoin wallet or can they just always just keep everything on the Lightning wallet? Yes. So, um, you know, Bitcoin in the classical sense, uh, meaning a, a on-chain transaction on the blockchain itself, uh, means that you're transferring the ownership of a Bitcoin from one address to the other address. Uh, but you tell the entire network, every full note, right, that you are making this property rights transfer. Um, uh, and so you put this transaction on the blockchain Every other user in the Bitcoin network sees it and verifies it, right? Um, very complex, very expensive to do so. Um, and sure, you can do that, but as I said, it's going to be expensive and slow. Um, the Lightning Network is kind of a twist on this. 
um, basically saying that, uh, like when when Andreas and I here are uh, like want to make transactions in the future, what we do is, for example, I make one transaction uh, into a, somewhat of a shared wallet between us two, and this first transaction is on the Bitcoin blockchain. Everyone knows about it. Everyone has verified it, right? But once we have the setup transaction done, I can continue sending money to Andreas and actually giving him the Bitcoin in a way that I cannot take them back. But the genius thing is, I only tell Andreas about that and not the rest of the Bitcoin network. So all these payment transactions never make it onto the blockchain itself. Um, and because only you and I need to be the ones knowing about this transaction, and because you can still verify that these Bitcoins are yours and that I cannot take them back, right? We can make instant and gratis transactions. Like as soon as we have what's known as a payment channel, you and I can send money back and forth hundreds of thousands of times per second, right? For literally zero cost other than the internet communication, right? right. Um, so especially for lower value payments, like just buying, you know, a kilo of onions or something, um, and for for frequent payments, right? You go to five merchants on the farmer's market and you pay each one of them. Um, Lightning Network really makes a lot of sense because you don't need to bother the entire Bitcoin network to confirm and verify your on-chain transaction. Uh, you just, you know, uh, do it off-chain in the secure Lightning Network protocol. Okay. So it starts off with uh, one one initial transaction that goes on the main blockchain, and that one has a slightly higher or like a standard fee, Bitcoin fee. But everything after that, until you settle, that is just is quick and it's uh, free. Or exactly, yes. Wow. So you have this opening transaction of the channel which is, for example, me putting my, my Bitcoin into this multi-signature between you and I. Um, and But the nice thing is here, yes, it's an on-chain transaction, but it's a different on-chain transaction in the sense of, like, if I just want to buy a kilo of onions from you, right, and I make this on-chain transaction, then I, I want it to be confirmed quickly, right? Because, well, I'm standing in front of you and I want to get the onions, right? And yeah. don't want to wait, like, two hours, right? So therefore, this is a high priority transaction, and I will probably have to pay a rather high Bitcoin mining fee just to get it confirmed quickly, right? And still, at the minimum, I got to wait 10 minutes, which sucks, right? Mm. Um, while opening a Lightning Network channel is not yet the actual purchase payment of the onions. This is more like a preparation transaction. Um, and because it's a preparation transaction, it has a lower time sensitivity too. Right? You can just, three days before you go to the farmer's market, you open this, this Lightning Network payment channel, right? and you're okay if that opening transaction takes two days to confirm, right? because it will still be done before you actually go to the farmer's market on the third day. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you can actually get away with paying much less fees for this low-priority on-chain transaction, um, simply because, you know, this is just a setup. It's all right if it takes a couple of days even to confirm. Because mm -hmm. once it is confirmed, then I will actually go out and make my payment purchases right? or purchase payments. Um, and this is then where you get the, the instant speed of the Lightning Network. Okay. Yeah, this is very, very interesting. I really want to try to do this. So how does it... I'm, I'm assuming you, uh, you do this, like you go to farmer's market and you, you buy food with, uh, with Lightning. Like what, what is that experience like? 
what, what is it? You said it was uh, liberating. Like, is there? Can, can you elaborate on that? Like, what is the experience like? Yeah, um, I think liberating sums it up uh, in total. I mean, you know, farmers markets are peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces, right? As as they are for for centuries, right? Where just people meet and trade goods and services. For me, that's that's like such a fundamentally humane way to work together, right? And and to meet and to talk, right? Uh, in in the downtown and you know actually build that that social community, right? Um, so just that aspect already for me is very liberating, right? As you said, to to know the person who grows your food. Yeah. I mean, like that was the default for so long, mm -hmm. right? It was the only option to buy your food locally from the neighbor that you know since like three generations, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, nowadays, like um, this rapid scale of globalism has taken a lot of this this humane part, right? To know thy neighbor. Uh, and to respect him, right? Because he helps you, right? You would be starving if not for the local farmer um, giving you whatever food you want, mm -hmm. right? So it's this it's this great appreciation and respect for your fellow man to help you survive in this struggle that we call life, right? Um, and again, for me, like because I understand the fiat shitcoin, like it's 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 just so disgusting to me. <laughs> like the, the entire concept is. Wow, it sends shivers down my spine, like seriously. Yeah. Um, so if if I if I meet someone and that person actually solves a problem for me, right? Like giving me the food that I would otherwise be starving for, right? It's a tremendous problem to be solved. Yeah. Very much thankful for that. Just to to have the audacity to insult him by throwing him this shit in his face mm -hmm. and be like, here, take these worthless paper fun tokens. <laughs> I don't know how much they're going to print more, but well, now it's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's disrespectful. That's not how I want to engage with others. Like if someone gives me a valuable service, I want to show them that I respect that and that I appreciate it. Right. And that I'm even willing to sacrifice something, something real, something meaningful. Right. Not just that I offload the depth that I have right in the fiat yeah. system. That's not a sacrifice. Like, good on you that you got rid of the fiat shit. Right? It's hyperinflating. Get rid of it as soon as possible. Yeah. That's no sacrifice. That's no meaningful interaction. But contrarily, right? If I give that person Bitcoin, like, and it's so funny that you just see that fire in their eyes once they actually get it. They're like, whoa, I just got like 50,000 Satoshis more. That's amazing. Like, my children, my grandchildren are going to build a space rocket with that. Right? That's fantastic. Right? This this ah yeah, this this hope and this this thrive to use this asset in the long term future to solve your problems that you don't even know that you're gonna have right now, right? These problems are gonna come up somewhere in the uncertainty of a future. Hmm. But still you have that that comfort that I own one percent of the Bitcoin money supply. It will be a lot, but I <laughs> um I own that percentage of the Bitcoin money supply, right? And I will always have it. Yeah. And regardless of what problems come come around, right, I will always have that purchasing power of one percent of all Bitcoin right, to solve my problems. Um, and mm. yeah, I just want to help entrepreneurs to remove that uneasiness and to think more hopefully about the future. Uh, and I simply cannot do that if I disrespect them with throwing a hyperinflating shitcoin at them. Yeah.
Yeah, I, I think I see a lot of uh, similarities with uh, like uh, the the sustainable lifestyle, like um, going to uh, uh, especially maybe especially uh, when it comes to food, like going to a farmer's market or actually going to your farmer and getting the food uh, right right from them. Then you, I mean, you know where it comes from. You know that they have some land where they saw their potatoes grow and they harvested, and like there's no hidden steps there. And but if you go to uh, Lidl and you go buy potatoes, I mean, you don't really know. It's just like a could be this factories involved, and there's trucks, and there's like all kinds of weird hidden steps. And I think maybe that's kind of the same with. Uh, our money that like if it's if we do have like you say the base money and uh, then I, um, I I got that money by providing a service for someone and they valued my work so I, I got uh, money from them and I have the possibility to to do the same for someone else like if I value the potatoes like I can exchange like there's no hidden steps it's just you know, it's just a, but if you take the fiat money, like it gets so weird because I mean, it's not really backed by anything. And if you, if you hold on to it, it's going to be worth less in a year or like the further in time you go, the less it's going to, so you get all these weird incentives to spend it as quickly as possible and to just buy before you spend it on something before all the value goes away. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and as you said, in Bitcoin, you can only get Bitcoin if you work for it, right? if you've earned it, right? If someone respects you and appreciates the work that you do, that's the only way to get Bitcoin. Mm. Right? And in the fiat realm, I mean, for you, it's the same, right? For you and me, the only way to get fiat is to earn it, right? To, to convince someone else that we provided a more valuable service than that money, right? Somewhat as it should be. But, but there exists this priest class, right? These, these lunatics who somehow can get more money without providing any meaningful work yeah. simply by printing it out of nothing and effectively taking it out of my pocket, right? Because my percentage of the money supply decreases while their percentage of the money supply increases. It's theft, plain and simple. These <laughs> bastards get so much wealth without having deserved it, without having earned it without having sacrificed anything to get that, right? And I mean, that's already appalling itself. But if we build a global monetary system on this level of theft, I mean, the consequences for that are just mind-blowing. Like, I, I firmly believe that, you know, all, all this globalization that we're currently seeing in our food supply chain, especially, like the, the destruction of the farmer's market as it is now, that's just the root consequence of having some people steal as much as they can mm. and other people not being able to protect themselves from it. Uh, because then, sure, right, the big corporation is just going to get all that newly printed money and buy your local farm, right, and then ship ship your potatoes 500 kilometers to some Lidl somewhere else, right? Because why not? They didn't, like, they didn't earn the money. They, they don't even know what the sacrifice is. They don't know the opportunity cost. For them, it's free money. They do whatever the fuck they want, right? So I think that, that like that aspect of wasting the resources and living exactly the opposite of a sustainable life, right? just devouring and consuming like a parasite, 
that's that's something like really really serious that we need to take care of mm. uh, and f like in my opinion building and using a, a better sound monetary system where nobody can steal nobody regardless of how powerful you are you're not going to steal my bitcoin it's just impossible yeah. right that's that's a very very different starting point from which we can well somewhat rebuild uh, the entire society yeah yeah i, I um I think that's a very uh, important point when you uh, when you hear people complain about um, the environmental impact of Bitcoin, uh, like all the mining, because it takes up a lot of energy. But I, I feel like people don't truly really understand the comparison. Like Bitcoin solves the problem, and that's a pretty big problem. Like that that is what you. I think it's it's more important to focus on the environmental and social and cultural effects of the fiat monetary system. Because I'm just, I, I agree with everything you say. And I, I think it's, it's so difficult to quantify also, like what exactly is the effect. But I mean, yeah, if you take, uh, uh, I read, uh, yeah, I read a book on uh, on banking, and uh, well, I I can't remember. It, but I mean, take take wars for example. Like it used to be that uh, governments, if they wanted to have a war, they needed to raise uh, taxes, or they needed to uh, to sell war bonds or things like that. But now they can simply just uh, inflate the money supply and use that to go to war. And basically, the people don't really have a say in it. And so the war that might not have happened if we had sound money, like that is a cost of the fiat monetary system. There's got to be a lot of these. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that was the defining characteristic of the 20th century was unlimited war uh, funded by stealing from everyone via monetary policy. Like the First World War started just out of monetary policy reasons, and it got prolonged so much more because well, central banks were created just a couple of years before the before the war started, specifically with the goal to print money to finance the war effort. Right, the Second World War like was just a consequence of the uh, Versailles Treaty, right, and the hyperinflation that happened in Weimar Republic afterwards. Right. Uh, then the Cold War, right? Just a monetary power play uh, between uh, between the money printing units uh, of the United States and the Soviet Union. Right? Every single war in the Middle East, Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, everything was just based on the petrodollar, right? Where the the U.S. government forces everyone at gunpoint to sell their oil for dollars. That's what the petrodollar fiat regime means. You must sell your oil for dollars, otherwise we come and shoot you. And what happens if some country like Iraq all of a sudden thinks, well, maybe we will sell for, for euros, right? Well, you see where Iraq is at now, completely devastated. Like the amount of death and suffering in the last 120 years is simply ridiculous, like mm. absolutely mind-staggering. So yeah, if people say, well, Bitcoin consumes so much energy... Well, how much, not just how much energy, but how much life has the fiat regime consumed over these last 120 years? I mean, we're talking about 150 million, probably much more dead people killed 
simply for the reason because some people could print money while others could not. Uh, that's that cost. I mean, if you compare it, like it's just it's it's mind-boggling. Bitcoin is the most efficient private property contract um, dispute settlement resolution that we human monkeys ever came up with. Yeah. It's mind-bogglingly of how efficient it actually is in the grand scheme of things. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, when I think of Bitcoin, I uh, or uh, when I um, scroll through Twitter and I see uh, what everyone writes, like there's a lot of people have a lot of big dreams for Bitcoin, and it's very a lot of enthusiasm. It's a lot of creativity and innovation in the whole field. And uh, yeah, a lot of people think that it's really going to be successful, that it's going to take over. And I think that would be a very good thing. I think that would help a lot of people. But I'm also a little bit worried that because it, it would be disruptive on a level that we haven't seen ever, I think, because there's a lot of power structures, like a lot of wealthy people that have interests that are directly opposed to Bitcoin. So what do you think about this? Do you, do you think there are some real threats? Like when you, uh, do you think people would, yeah, do you think there are any threats to Bitcoin? I, I very much agree that it's going to be a, a massive disruption, like un, unheard of, unseen of, radical, radical extent. Why is that? Um, and I think the Austrian business cycle theory uh, of the Austrian School of Economics explains it very, very well. Like there are outright obvious and uninevitable consequences to increasing the money supply on a systematic scale, as it was done in the fiat regime over the last 130 years. Right. Um, and the consequences are that, you know, as I said earlier, if just someone prints money, he doesn't care where he invests it. He just buys some stupid crap of it right, because he didn't earn the money. He didn't he doesn't even know what it means to sacrifice in order to earn the money. Right. So this leads to malinvestments. Right. Frankly, we build stupid shit that nobody actually wants, like these massive unstable supply chains in the food market, all just leading to the big corps like Aldi and Lidl. Right. Nobody really wants that. Like, yeah, local food is, is, is surely something much more interesting, right? But the fiat economy leads to that malinvestment into these uh, much short, shorter term time horizons where we just scale for the sake of scaling while actually losing the value uh, that, that's, that we ought to provide here. That's the first thing, right? Entrepreneurs invest in the wrong things. And then the second thing is overconsumption, right? So because your savings are dwindling with every second, right? Your percentage of the purchasing power goes down as fast as it possibly could be, right? It's basically a free fall. Well, you're going to spend that money, right? You're going to spend it as soon as possible on anything, on any consumption or production good. You don't care. As long as you don't hold the money itself, which is no longer a store of value, right? Buy anything, buy food, buy clothes, buy a car, doesn't matter anything, but get rid of the money. Right? And that is the overconsumption. You start buying plastic crap that you don't even want, really, but you, that you just had to get in order to protect your wealth from the money that is failing. And these two things happen in the so-called boom period. Right? This is actually the period where everything is great. 
Like, and I would argue that over the last 120 years, we've basically had one macro boom uh, area in the economy, right? Everyone is investing. Like every company has is like spinning out its cash flows, super like hiring so many people, work like nothing else, right? Everyone is building something. And on the other hand, we all have parties every night, like getting wasted and, and consuming and eating as much as we want, like the biggest feast that we could possibly imagine. <laughs> um, but, and sure, during that time, awesome, like really awesome. Everyone is work, everyone is doing party, great, right? But eventually, eventually comes that point where you realize, oh, wait, like that house that I just started building, like I don't have the resources to finish it. Like, because I, I just wasn't the party and I ate all the stuff that I now need to, to pay my workers. Like, hmm. shit, I don't have the money left. I, I ate it all, right? I consumed it all. I cannot finish this investment, right? And this is the point of the bust, where you realize that your overconsumption has made your malinvestment even worse, right? That, you, that you, you're building a stupid thing. You're solving a problem that's not even a real problem. But now you've even lost the capital to to, fi to finish up the solution to this non-existing problem in the first place, right? So this is where the bust kicks in. Uh, and this is where the reallocation of capital comes in, right? You tear down the house that you built but never finished, right? And you, you, you take those stones and build like a small hut for food storage, right? Different project, right? Uh, you, had to you had to invest your time just to tear down that old house, Right? So you're actually retracing, right? You're you're going backwards, right? You're you're depreciating your capital stock, right? Because you realize, well, nobody needs that large of a villa and I'm starving, right? So for me, much more important is to build that food shelter right now. Right? Um, and this is the bust. Uh, and I think this is what's happening right now on a macro scale. Over the last 120 years, um, with you know ups and downs, but in general, we had a phenomenal boom. Like everyone was spending like crazy. Everyone was investing in some things, right? And everyone was going party all the time. Hmm. Um, sure, it was a great time. Really was fantastic. We had a lot of fun. Killed a bunch of people in the war efforts too. But well, that's a side note, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, now Bitcoin comes along. And all of a sudden we realize, well, wait a second. Like pretty much everything we did the last 120 years was pointless. Like we should have focused our time on something completely, completely radically different. Right? Mm -hmm. And this is where the bust kicks in. This is where all your value judgments start to rearrange. And you realize that the things you worked on are actually not valuable to you. And that you should have worked on that other valuable task like 10 years ago. But you didn't. So you must do it now. Right? And this reallocation I see in the minds of Bitcoiners everywhere. Everywhere. Like This is a bust of the mind, basically. To realize that you were fooled that you were scammed, right? That you did something that you thought you wanted, but you actually didn't, right? And you, we, I see it on the mi micro scale. I see it on the macro scale. And the consequences of this in the short term are going to be devastating, devastating. Such a bust period is not nice. Like people will starve because they don't have food. That's the sad truth. It will happen. It's inevitable, right? The question is, when will we figure out that we fucked up in the past? And when will we work to a, towards a more prosperous future? When will we voluntarily actually take that reallocation of capital onto our shoulders, suffer through the short term, while we have to tear down the villa and build the, the food shelter? 
right? But, but maybe if we have the courage and the will to actually do that sacrifice, and just maybe we have a chance that our children in the future will not starve, right? Uh, and I, I hope, I hope that Bitcoin gives people that realization that maybe we have, we still have a chance in the future, um, and and therefore then foster a sustainable life site or life in general um, for that long term future. Hmm. Yeah, uh, for sure. Wow. Uh, I really, yeah, I really hope that this process is allowed to happen. Because in the long term, I, I think that would benefit everyone, really. I mean, it's unsustainable to just keep um, just keep expanding the money supply and just partying all the time, like you say. Do you think uh, there will be a lot of people who resist this process and people who will maybe... Uh, yeah, I, I've been thinking, like, do you think people would blame Bitcoin? Like, if there was a crash, it was if there was a big bust, like, is there any way that people could harm this process, like, or, or maybe shut down Bitcoin? Or do you see any threats like that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, this bust period, this reallocation of uh, of capital takes courage it takes so much courage like to to first of all to have the courage to look and to try to find out if what you're doing is actually meaningful that already is a is a huge uncertainty that you must burden right but then once you have the honesty and the critical thinking to actually find out that what you did the last 20 years was worthless right first of all that's soul crushing find out that you wasted half of your life building things that nobody wants right that's crushing itself, right? And that will probably end many people already. Uh, but then what we need is not just people realizing that, but actually having the courage to, to change, right? And to tear down the villa and to build the shelter, right? And to sacrifice even more in the short term. That's so difficult. That's super, super difficult. Um, and yes, cowards will not do it. Uh, they're just going to be afraid. Um, and... Uh, yeah, they will be envious for those who did the sacrifice and those who tore down the villa and built their food shelter, right? Those who actually did the work to provide meaning, there will be enormous amounts of jealousy. We see that everywhere in fascism and in socialism, right? There is a, a huge jealousy for those who are successful, right? And to be honest, those people who are on the Bitcoin standard, those people who demand to be paid in Bitcoin and pay their contractors in Bitcoin, they are winning massively massively um and again at the expense of everyone else right because if you don't hold any bitcoin your percentage of the bitcoin supply is still zero right while my percentage continues to increase steadily you lose hardcore right and now the question is how is a coward going to deal with such a massive loss and i would argue not well um i i, I really think that there is a, a big risk that well the socialists and the communists basically are gonna like are gonna like give in to that envy uh, and that um, that unfairness, right? That that some people now have some food storage while I'm still sitting in my villa as it's burning down, right? Um, wh wh why is it fair that that guy has some food, right? Um, if the person does not have the moral character to to understand his own mistakes, 
and to sacrifice in fixing these mistakes, um, then I think we will just go into the next boom period rather than actually doing a bust. Right? If your answer to these problems is let's print more money, let's steal from more people, let's kick the can down the road, right? then sure, you're going to have a couple more years of nice party, but the hangover is going to be even worse. Right? So those who have the courage to quit uh, and to reallocate their, their resources and to use Bitcoin, they will benefit. But those who will continue partying even just for a little longer uh, will suffer a lot more. Now, how that discrepancy plays out, especially if like on a macro society scale, we have lived under this fiat mindset for hundreds of years. I don't know. I really don't know if individuals have the courage to to take this upon themselves. Um, we will see. But it's it's going to be an interesting fight for sure. Yeah. Yeah. When I think of it, um, I think, I mean, I really hope that this process is allowed to just happen. But I don't know. It, it also seems like a, a risk that it will be that governments and central bankers that they will act to try to, to ban Bitcoin or try to hurt it or try to um, uh, regulate it so it's more difficult to use. Um, Absolutely. Right, because, uh, because again, it's we're talking about two fundamentally clashing mindsets. Like hmm. the mindset of freedom of Bitcoin could not be more different than the mindset in the fiat economy, right? Like fundamental. Um, Bitcoiner, Bitcoin is based on the individual and its existence in time, right? The, the individual acts, he's suffering, he has problems, and he tries to fix them. That's the mindset that Bitcoin is based on. In the fiat realm, the individual is, is not important. The collective is what matters, and time does not exist, right? And you see that with statements like, national debt is money that we owe to ourselves. Like, that shows exactly that flawed mindset completely. Who is we? Who is ourselves? If you're an individualist, clearly those are two different entities, right? But if you're a collectivist, yeah. well, that's just the same thing, right? We're just all the social body. Uh, and, uh, well, if, if we take from the left pocket and put it to the right pocket, the social body, this collective still has the same thing. Right? So we're not stealing from anyone, right? But then even worse, it fails to realize that there's a timing aspect, right? Debt is money that you take from your future selves onto your current self, right? Um, so, the, like, these two aspects are just so different to Bitcoin. And once your starting points, once your assumptions, your axioms are that radically opposed, any conclusion that you will reach in either one of the systems will obviously be completely contradictory towards the other. Hmm. Um, so, it's, it's, yeah, like, they're not going to accept Bitcoin. Absolutely not, because Bitcoin does not make sense in their point of view. Um, and they will probably fight uh, to, uh, well, to keep their mindset, uh, same as individualists will fight to keep their mindset and to proliferate it. Yeah. So, so when you uh, live on Bitcoin, when you earn money in Bitcoin, you pay people in Bitcoin, and you buy food and things in Bitcoin uh, as much as you can. Like, do you, do you get a sense of this? Do you get a sense that the government does not like this? Like, do you feel like it's um, it puts you outside of society? Or are you getting any pushback from government or people? Um, yeah, it it for sure puts you out of the first realm, right? This this first realm is a realm of coercion and uh, aggression and lying. Um, 
And again, the fiat system is based on that. That's just what it does, right? So yes, demanding to exclusively be paid in Bitcoin absolutely removes you from that first realm, right? Um, and it does put you in that second realm of, of peaceful and agorist interaction, right? Where we're where voluntarily creating something beautiful. Um, so yes, it is a active revolt to leave the system. Absolutely. Uh, and I do feel that. Um, because again, like we see in, in 2020, the global monetary base has increased by, uh, what, 50%, 54% or something. Like hyperinflation on a global macro level, unheard of, unheard of. Your percentage of the pie just got 50% smaller in just one year. What the fuck? What the fuck? How, how does that contrast with Bitcoin? I earned more Bitcoin. I have more percentage of the money supply than I had last year, right? Like it's... It's it's very very different different game, um, and and yes there there is there is some exclusion obviously like I stop interacting with people who who like only can pay me in fiat like I don't work with them like if you insist to pay me in fiat I don't do business with you sorry get some Bitcoin pay me with a respectful currency that's it so yes this is I I do consciously make a very harsh selection and curation of my customer base. I don't want to work with anyone, really. I want to work with honest businessmen who value the work that I do and, and, uh, and who are willing to give on that, that value and that insight uh, to others. Right? I don't want to work with thieves and with cronies. I want to work with honest businessmen. Um, so, so yes, mm. these are just some of the many, many aspects where, yeah, going Bitcoin only will exclude you from many other things, right? But to me, that, that's what I want. I want to be excluded from the thieves. I don't want anything to do with them. They should stay, yeah. do their own thing and I do my own thing. Leave me alone. Right? So yeah, Bitcoin does exactly that. Uh, they must leave you alone because they simply cannot get your Bitcoin. Yeah. Interesting. So what do you think? Because um, uh, I, I, I feel like if this um, revolution, if you, you want to call it that, is going to be successful. It's going to take a lot of uh, education and maybe uh, a, can you call it diplomacy? Maybe like with people who are in positions of power, like the people that actually um, are the the politicians and the central bankers, that they understand the, this process and that they don't resist it. Do you think about that at all? Like, or how do you approach that? Yeah, that's one really interesting thing because, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, and I think thieves will realize that too. Like, uh, I'm, okay. well, the archetype of a parasite cannot realize that. Like, a parasite can never be productive. It can never be the growing, living, prospering orga organism itself. Um, but I would say that that especially humans... Who, who have behaved like a parasite in the past have the capability to realizing that that's wrong and that it's actually bad for them, right? That if they are productive themselves and collaborate with others peacefully who are productive, that this is better for everyone all around. And I think nothing makes that more obvious as Bitcoin does, right? Um, so I, I really do hope that, that th this parasite that has kind of taken over human minds to have the audacity to believe that stealing from others and raping them is any th anyhow productive, 
I hope that this illusion is being lifted by most. Um, because if individuals are free enough to actually break that veil of ignorance, of, uh, um, you know, of just living based on being a parasite and stealing from others, if that veil can be lifted, then yes, they can become a, a profitable and a prosperous part of the Bitcoin economy. But again, the archetype of the parasite itself has no room in Bitcoin. Um, and I, I hope it will wither away and die uh, and leave the productive cells, uh, you know, on their own. Um, but of course, you know, that struggle versus good and evil is as old as humankind is. And th the line of that runs down mm. the, of, of the hearts of every human individual. So I, Bitcoin is not going to solve all the problems. Bitcoin is not going to make thieving obsolete. Um, it's going to make it more difficult, at least in the short term, hopefully. Um, but yeah, human action is very unpredictable. And uh, thieves will come up with creative ways to make your life miserable, even in the Bitcoin economy. Uh, so this is an ongoing struggle. This is something that every human has to check himself for every single action that he makes constantly, all the time. It's not a responsibility that you can simply give up to someone else. Um, so in that sense, I am, I'm somewhat pessimistic, but still optimistic. Like pessimistic in the sense that the struggle will continue until eternity, um, but optimistic that we've now with this tool called Bitcoin shifted the balance towards productivity and away from the parasite uh, that uh, actually does give me hope for, you know, some gaining of balance, at least in the short term. Mm. Yeah, this is so very interesting. And I really hope that this is successful Bitcoin. And I see so many uh, similarities with uh, sustainability. And I think I want to try to see if I can live more on Bitcoin just to get a sense of how it would feel. You know, just cutting out more of the 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 bullshit, like the the fiat currency, and just see what it's like to to have that interaction with people where you pay them in sound money. I think that would be very interesting, and I'm, I think I'm going to take you up on your advice to actually go to the farmers instead, because then they have more time. Yeah, 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 and and again, like this is. This is such a difficult choice. Like, it seriously does take a bunch of courage right, to to jump off this this fiat boat, right? As you think it's sinking, right? And to jump off into the darkness and unknown of of Bitcoin, right? Where where presumably all chaos exists, right? Um, yeah, it's it's very difficult, and it's not just a one time decision. Right? It's, it's something that you have to consciously consider for every single action. Do you want to steal or do you want to build? Right? There are only these two things. Um, so, and oh, the, the scam of the fiat empire is that it, it lies to the people thinking that they are building something while in fact they are stealing. And that just makes it so pure evil to me right? that it. Even honest people who, who really want to be productive and help others, right? Simply by the fact that they demand to be paid in fiat and that they hold their wealth in fiat. They are stealing from millions, billions of people who will receive that newly printed money after them, right? Hmm. Like, it's, 
it's such a scam. Like the fiat, the fiat system turns everyone into a thief of a monumental, colossal scale where you're literally stealing from billions, billions, not just those who live today, but even those who live in the future, right? And there's seemingly nothing you can do about it. As soon as you, as you earn fiat and you save in fiat, you're a thief. It's as simple as that. And in Bitcoin, it's, it's finally the opposite. Like, as soon as you earn Bitcoin and you hold your value in Bitcoin, not just do you not steal from anyone, but it becomes impossible for others to steal from you. And this is, again, such a, like, such a fundamental change that the consequences of that are, yeah, are, are really astonishing, like, for every individual and for the society at large. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. Um, so we're coming up on an hour, so I'm thinking maybe we uh, uh, switch it up a little bit. Um, this uh, this podcast is uh, about sustainability, and I told you about this um, part I like to do with uh, my guests, where um, we talk a little bit about uh, environmental values or like what, what we value about it, and uh, uh, and the challenge part, like I told you about. So um, so let me ask you this: like when when you think about the environment, when you think about nature. Like, do you have any um, like specific memories that come up, or like, what, what do you have something that's particularly meaningful to you? Like, what does it mean to you? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I've like I've always had this connection with the forest, mm -hmm. um, both from you know, remember going mushroom hunting with my grandpa uh, all the time, or you know, I had a dog since since early childhood, and uh, taking them out for for a walk uh, as as a daily routine um, was really yeah really mind boggling. Um, it's it's somewhat of a of like a, a peaceful yet wild place, right? A lot of a lot of risks, a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainties, but but still a place where kind of I could rest my mind uh, and and think and just mm -hmm. contemplate. Right? I I remember having just, you know, walking in some forest, thinking, contemplating, and coming up with beautiful realizations um, that, yeah, that, that I carry with me right now. And I, I remember distinctly, like, the place where I was at, like, the, the, the trees, the smell around me, when I had that realization mm -hmm. um, on, on many different fronts. So somehow this, like, being in nature gives me that, that connection um, and that... Yeah, that, that openness uh, to to be creative and to come up with new insights. Um, and yeah, I think this is probably one of the main things that I that I value so much of, of, of being outside and just you know being actually. Um, that it it kind of gives me this this Zen mode somewhat. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah, I, I'm also very much into being in the forest. I think it's quite similar for me so so do i understand it correctly that w when you're out there it's uh you say it's like relaxing it, it feels good for your mind and you can think and you have insights is that correct yeah exactly and it's also a great opportunity to have a good conversation right uh -huh. um 
uh, and, and this is actually even twofold. Like, you know, either you physically have people with you, right? Uh, and you walk and you talk. And I think just that aspect of walking and talking, I don't know, somehow, like, th that's where I get the best ideas. Like, really, I, I don't know what it is with that, that slight physical activity together with someone else uh, and to exploring and expanding our minds in a certain direction. Oh, it just works for me. It's, it's odd. Um, so I love that. Like, you know, just with family or friends, taking a walk or a hike is great. Um, but I also very, very much enjoy walking by myself and, for example, listening to an audiobook or to a podcast. And, um, uh, you know, still you know, being perceptive around and, and strolling and, and looking at all the beautiful trees and hearing the birds. Mm -hmm. um, but kind of having that conversation with someone in, in cyberspace while manifesting freely in meat space. Um, this also really was, is something that I love to do. Um, I'm, I'm a very auditive person. Um, I don't like to like read with my eyes that much. Uh, I really do prefer listening. Um, and simply also because of the fact, because I can walk in the forest while accumulating new knowledge. And again, that does put me in that mindset where I'm just more perceptive, I'd say, or more, more open to, and more focused to actually, uh, expand my mind into unknown areas. Okay, interesting. So is it? It's like. Well, I'm hearing some. Uh, it's like relaxation it has a good effect on your mind. Like, what, what? What would you say? What do you call that emotion? Like, what do you feel when you're out in nature? Yeah, um, you know, one aspect is just that I can breathe, like. Like once you make that first step outside and you just take a deep breath, it's it's like the first real breath you took in forever. Because right? <laughs> as soon as you're inside, somehow you're breathing. It's just different. Um, so yeah, it's like this this sensation of being alive, right? Of of seeing all these many things happening around, like not just in the sterile environment with with square walls and everything white, but yeah. you no, know, not having any single straight line, not having anything static, like everything being moving. And, and vibrating, right? and, and the smells and the sounds and all this, this richness of an experience. Um, yeah, it is, it is, I'm not sure, but it, I, I just do feel alive. Like, yeah. uh, it, it seems that this really is an integral part to the human experience. For sure, for sure. So what I'm trying to do with uh, the podcast is uh, to explore kind of like the values uh, or like what we get out of acting in a stewardship way like taking care of the planet and seeing like uh okay like what is this like does it how does it feel so uh if you want to uh, i invite you to uh try to come up with something that you could do to to act on this feeling that you have like this uh this value um of uh, being in the, the forest um and something that like the only constraint is that it's something that has an a measurable effect on the environment and something that you do. Can you come up with something? Yeah, that's that's really a good question. And it's nice to set out these challenges for yourself, right? And, and like obviously there is a problem. Well, what do I do about it, right? Not, not just uh, bitching and, and t yelling at others to do something, but what do I exactly. do, right? Yeah, um, yeah and... I mean, there are so many aspects to it. Um, no, I think for one, just actually going out in nature regularly, right? And and being, um, like, 
taking on that aspect of the frequency of the forest itself uh, is, I think, already on a macro scale going to have a meaningful impact just because you're going to be more well in, in your center and in tune with, with acting sustainably in, in all aspects, right? So I think just you know, having that habit of frequently going out will affect your mindset in terms of sustainable thinking. Um, I think that's one, one really important aspect. Um, but maybe a bit more, more concrete of, of what I would like to do is something that I've, that I've thought about for such a long time, but I never really ended up doing. Um, because uh, like I travel a lot with, with my truck um, and I visit countless forests like all the time, <laughs> twice, three times a day sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I, I love walking through there, but it seems I rarely leave anything there. Um, so I, I had this idea for such a long time to have, you know, just a bunch of seeds of, you know, flowers and herbs and whatever, uh, and, and spreading them around as I'm actually passing through. Um, uh, this is, I think something that's, that's interesting on many fronts because, well, for one, I kind of, you know, get to do my part to, to change and to hopefully improve, uh, the nature, um, uh, while also somewhat, you know, leaving my mark, right? And hopefully someone else seeing, you know, that field of flowers a couple months later uh, and, you know, gaining some value from that. Um, I, I think yeah. that would be something that's, that's really interesting um, and something that I really just wanted to have for a long time, just bag of seeds in my truck and sometimes just out of the window, you know, tossing it into the field. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So, uh, would you mind making uh, this a goal, like uh, something more specific and maybe something uh, time bound? Yeah, I actually already now have a couple uh, seeds that I bought. Um, you know, a bunch of herbs and things uh, to to grow uh, locally here. Um, so, I'm I'm doing <laughs> somewhat of a different task already with with growing uh, something a bit more stationary uh, and long term. Um, but I, uh, yeah, getting a more general set of seeds, uh, to, to just toss out by the fistful. Um, yeah, I should really get that done before the next big, uh, big trip. Um, uh, and, uh, which should probably be, uh, yeah, by mid next week. Uh, so yeah, next time, uh, like before that, I will have to do some shopping anyway, uh, and go to the gardening store. Um. And then, yeah, next time I'm on a, in the uh, beautiful forest, uh, let me leave a little bit uh, of a delightful trail. Okay. So just to clarify, you're going to, before uh, next week or, or before the end of next week, you said you're going to get uh, like a bunch of seeds. Do you have any specific amount, like one package, 10 package? Oh well, well, I always just had in mind like a, a you know a, a big bag, of a couple fistfuls. Okay. Uh, so uh, you know, there's, um, and actually there was in in Germany they had these um, what was it called again? I forgot. It was like an initiative that at the edge of uh, a like a farm um, field uh, where usually they just do some monoculture. At least on the edge of it, uh, they they destroy these uh, seeds of all types of flowers. Um, and this is actually where I got the idea of a while ago because they really had like huge uh, sacks of seed that they were just handing out to anyone uh, to take uh -huh. and, and spread. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking for that, like a big bucket full of a mix of all types of seeds uh, to, to leave uh, a nice flower field. 
Okay, cool. So uh, I'm just curious uh, because uh, you said the the thing you like about nature it's it's the forest and it's the the feeling you get when you're when you're in there how you can think and these sort of things. Uh, is this connected to uh, like uh, that this uh, like planting all these seeds or is there something else to it? Some other motivation? Uh, well, you know, uh, my a lot of friends of mine where, where I grew up in a village uh, had bees uh, all around us. Uh, and I've, I realized for a very long time that, um, yeah, we, we need bees. Like mm. they are extremely important. Yeah. <laughs> this is like one of the one of the uh, you know small aspects of a of a macro ecosystem that, if fallen apart, would change a lot of things. And um, so uh, there, like that aspect of owning or, or, or like building a home for the bees and providing the surroundings in which they can thrive, uh, was also something that I'm I'm really really interested in. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. So it's kind of like helping helping the bees, uh, making them thrive and protecting the environment, some sort of something like that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, let's uh, let's keep in touch. I'm very curious to see how this goes. Yeah, absolutely, and likewise. Uh, I mean, as far as I understand, most of your uh, episodes are in Norwegian, and, Swedish. Uh, uh, Swedish, right? Yeah. Um, which unfortunately I don't speak, <laughs> but uh, I, I know that you have one uh, or like a couple English episodes uh, that I will for sure uh, check out. And uh, and yeah, let's keep in touch. Uh, it was a really interesting conversation. You pulled on a lot of interesting threads. Uh, so um, yeah, I'm happy to uh, for the invite and uh, for the great conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's been very very interesting and uh, very uh, inspirational, I would say. Like I really want to try this to see if I can uh, start living more on uh, Bitcoin and to see what this experience is like. And I'm sure. Yeah, I... yeah go ahead. Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but I uh, yeah, I actually think you're on a really good path here already, uh, because in a sense you are already like acting and and living um, with Bitcoin. Like you know. You you hold Bitcoin and also you you make this podcast. Right? You actually speak up about the things that you're passionate, and I think that is so 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 important. Right? To not just sit there and accumulate all of this knowledge that is being shared, but to actively try to understand it and to act upon it. Right? To to build something out of that information that was just said um, is is really where that wisdom comes. Um, and yeah, I think you're you're at a great part for that, uh, and of, of course, always there's you know more actions that can be done. And I like your mindset of actually uh, articulating a, a certain action plan and and you know committing to that. Uh, so so yeah, I think this uh, you're on a good path here. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, Max, uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for the invite, Andreas.